when I was a little Steve, I'm a big Steve now, but when I was a little Steve, my family piled into our Volkswagen van and left our home in Mount Prospect, Chicago, and headed to Pilgrim Pines Covenant Camp in New Hampshire. Uh, my dad had been invited to speak. My dad's a pastor, so sometimes he'd get invited to speak. He got invited to speak that week at camp. And when dad got invited to speak, the family went on vacation. Simple as that. Uh, we got to the camp, and the camp was beautiful. It was surrounded by a forest. It had a nice lake there. And during the middle of the week, my brother came up to my two brothers and I. My dad came up to my two brothers and I, and he said, hey, let me tell you about a camp tradition. And we said, hey, well, okay, what is it? He said, it's the annual frog race. Do you guys want to do it? And we were like, yeah. And so dad said, okay, well, here's what you got to do. You got to go down to the lake. You got to catch a frog and then enter it into the race. So we said, okay. So we headed down to the lake and we got to the lake. The worst possible thing happened. As we're at the lake, we're looking at the water, and all of a sudden I saw a frog, and I looked to my brother Ben, and I said, Hey, Ben, there's a frog. Get it. And Ben did this. And he said, Oh, I don't want to touch that. It's a frog. I don't, I don't want to touch it. I said, Okay, hey, Tyler, my other brother. Hey, Tyler, there's a frog. Get it. And Tyler said, Get it yourself. <laughs> Suddenly our dreams of becoming frog race champions faded as we realized that none of us wanted to get into the murky water and touch a slimy frog. So we skulked back to the ice cream shop and <clears throat> drowned our sorrows in cookie dough. Well, during lunchtime, we heard about the most renowned. We heard about the most famous. We heard about the most spectacular frog catcher ever to walk the face of the earth. She was six years old. And she was amazing. When we heard about her, we ran back down to the lake and we got behind all the other boys asking her to catch them frogs. And we stood in awe as she put her hair up into a ponytail. She rolled up her jean pants and she waded out into the murky water and just sat there. It was amazing. And then with lightning fast reflexes, she would snap in and grab a frog, grab a frog. She's just passing frogs out to everyone. And when it came time to get our frog, I'll never forget, she grabbed it and she looked at it and she said, this frog looks like a winner. And she handed it to me. And I blushed a little because her hand touched my hand as she gave me the frog. It was, it was an awesome moment. We named our frog, <laughs> we named our frog Luke Skyhopper. <clears throat> and we entered it into the race. And now, now in order to get the frogs to hop, one person had to stay behind it and smack the ground behind its hind legs. The vibration from the smack would let the frog jump. And so Tyler and Ben got to the finish line, and I took little Skyhopper, and I went to the starting line, and the whistle blew, and I started smacking and crawling, and I'm leading the frog, and Tyler and Ben are at the finish. They're going, hop, 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 hop. And when little Skyhopper crossed the finish line and won the race, we exploded. You would think we won the Super Bowl. We're hugging each other. We're jumping around. And Tyler took a pretend mic and he shoved it in my face. He said, Stephen, now that you've won the Frog Bowl, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to Disney World. Rivet. <laughs> 
It was an awesome, awesome day. And then we all had to take our frogs back to the murky lake and release them. As I've been thinking about that this week, I thought about the frog a little. I thought about how exciting for that frog to be taken out of its environment, put somewhere new, get smacked a little behind the ground. How exciting. That frog's going, I have no idea what's going on, but this is amazing. This is so out of the ordinary. As I've thought about it this week, I've come to the realization that sometimes in my life, I'm like that frog. There's days when it's exciting, when my faith is alive and active. But then there's days where it feels like I was just thrown back into the murky lake. There's days that sometimes it just feels like I'm going through the motions. Sometimes it just feels like, yeah, my faith is good. It's a nice little belief that I have, but it doesn't really affect the rest of me. Sometimes I feel like I'm living ordinarily. Well, what I've realized, though, is that I need to invite Jesus daily to be the one behind me, smacking the ground, motivating me, challenging me, changing me, pushing me out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. And that's my hope for us this morning as we come into God's Word together. You know, when we look at the Bible, the Bible is not a book about man's attempt to get to God. The Bible is about God's attempt to get to us. And this morning, I think he's going to. Our story picks up in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Let's set the stage a little here. It's the morning. The sun is still rising on the horizon. And crowds have gathered to buy fresh fish. Uh, The crowds would have been used to walking down at this little seaside market and seeing the fishermen elated from the previous night's haul. Uh, The fishermen would have been taking orders. They would have been wrapping the fish in old New Jerusalem Times newspapers and tossing them around. But the crowd this day, on, on this morning, when they walked down, the fishermen informed them that the sea was not very generous and there are no fish. Well, amongst the crowd is Jesus that day, amongst the crowd. And Jesus seizes this opportunity to begin teaching. And suddenly the crowd's dismay of the lack of fish is replaced by interest in the words of Jesus. And the crowd begins to grow larger and larger, pushing Jesus further and further towards the waters, as so much so that the water begins to wet the hem of his robe. So Jesus does the most logical thing. Verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. As I was thinking about this this week, as I was studying this passage, I, I started wondering, how would Peter retell this moment? How would Peter talk about this story? How one moment, he's cleaning his nets despaired by the results of the night, wondering how he's going to pay the bills, feed his family, thinking about how he's a disappointment to the family business, how he's just an ordinary fisherman, like everyone always used to tell him, and will never amount to anything. And then the next moment, Jesus, the teacher his brother Andrew had introduced him to once, the guy that everyone's starting to talk about. The person that Peter himself has listened to a couple times, that guy is now sitting in his boat. 
I wonder how he would have recounted that years later, around a fire, late in the evening, when the time for telling stories started. Because you know, as a fisherman, Peter could have told a good story. As a fisherman, Peter could have outstoried all of us. I wonder if when he started, he would describe the way the moonlight reflected off of the water that night and how he had a good feeling about it. I wonder if he would tell us about how time after time, cast after cast of coming up with nothing, how each time he had to drag back those heavy nets, and after seeing them empty each time, how his heart started sinking a little more. I wonder if how he would describe that moment when the sun started peaking in the horizon and he was rowing back to shore, nets empty. I wonder if he would talk about how disappointed, how ashamed he felt. After all, this was his profession. This was his trade. This was his lot in life. This was his way to provide. And he hadn't caught a single fish. I wonder how he would describe that moment when as he's cleaning his nets, heart pounding, a little more than normal, eyes beginning to water, faintly listening to the teacher on the shore. How in that moment, when he heard his name being called, like a smack of a hand behind the hind legs of a frog, caught him off guard. And Jesus was asking him to push his boat back out. Oh, I wonder how Peter would have retold that moment. And here's why I wonder. You never forget the moment Jesus stepped into your boat. You never forget it. Because that was the moment that changed everything else. And for Peter, at this point in our story, everything else is about to change. Listen to verse 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Uh, Maybe Peter chuckled a little when Jesus got done speaking and turned around and said, hey, let's go fish. I wonder if Peter chuckled a little and said, oh, oh, you're serious. You want you want to actually. Oh, okay, Jesus, let me just tell you. You're a good preacher. I'm a good fisherman. You do what you do. I'll do What I do. You obviously don't know a whole lot about fishing, Jesus, because fish like to feed at night near the surface, not in the daytime. And trust me, I know they aren't biting. Uh, This would be like me going out to a farm and looking at the farm and walking around and studying what's going on in the farm. And then it'd be like me going up to the farmers and going, hey, I looked at everything and I think. If you want to get the best out of harvest this year, you should go and plant some seeds over there. That would be the best. Uh, The farmers would look at me and go, all right, you go back to telling your little Steve stories, acting like a big middle schooler, and leave the farming to us. How often do we do what Peter does here when it comes to our faith? Jesus, you're a great teacher, but you don't know about me. Uh, Sure, I'll listen to you, but don't think you understand the ins and outs of my life. I've got my profession. I've got my family. I've got my degree. You've got the teaching. I've got the rest. Uh, Jesus, I'll let you into my boat, but your place is at the bow. I've got the oars and the rudder, and I'll float you out so it makes it look like you're important. But Jesus, don't tell me where to go. 
Living ordinarily means treating Jesus like a passenger and not the captain. Well, Jesus leans over to Peter like he leans over to us. Hey, I know you might feel like you failed. I know it might seem like hope is lost. I know maybe you don't think your life is where you want it to be. I know about the pain in those relationships. I know that you're planning on rolling up your nets and calling it quits. But Peter, but First Covenant Church, this time, this time, I'm in the boat with you. This time, I'm going out with you. Master, Peter says, not disrespectfully, it's just kind of like in the tone of, hey, let me clue you in on this. Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. A lot of us just leave it here, don't we? I have a lot of crazy ideas. I, I like to dream. I like to come up with stuff. And when I'm in that creative brainstorming process, I, I like to see how big I can make my ideas. So the most, the most frustrating thing, the most frustrating statement for me to hear when I'm in that process and I start telling people, the most frustrating, frustrating thing to hear is when people go, Stephen, let me tell you why that's a bad idea. A, B, C. Okay, I, I get that those reasons are valid, but can't you just let me dream a little? Can't you just let me see how far I can take? Can't you just see if, uh, if what I'm actually thinking about plays out? No, Stephen. Let me tell you why that's a bad idea. I think a lot of us have been told, let me tell you why, so often in our lives, that we start believing we really are limited in our dreams and passions and aspirations and hopes and purposes. That when Jesus tells us to cast our nets, to go out a little deeper, to do something out of the ordinary, we put our hands up and say, Jesus, let me tell you why. That's a bad idea. You see, I've failed before. I've stumbled before. I've sinned before. Really bad. I've come up empty. And I know you're good, but I just don't think this is going to work. I don't know if having you go with me is really going to make that much of a difference. Living ordinarily means telling Jesus that there's a limit to his power. I heard a comedian recently. I've been actually watching a lot of comedians on Netflix and stuff because I like watching the way they move around on the stage. And sometimes they're funny. But I was watching this comedian. And here's something he said. It was kind of the beginning of his act. He said this. I've got a lot of beliefs. And I don't live by any of them. They're just my beliefs. And they make me feel good. But I don't let them get in the way of what I want to do. And when he said that, I did this. I was like, huh. That's not very funny. Click. I turned him off. Listen to what Peter says. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. But if you say so, Jesus, uh, maybe some of us in here this morning need to stop saying, let me tell you why, Jesus, and need to start saying, but if you say so, Jesus, I will. I think that's one of the biggest differences between living ordinarily and living extraordinarily for God. It's the realization that even though our sight in a situation or circumstance may be limited, God's sight isn't. Faith allows us to view our circumstances through God's character, not view God's character through the lens of our 
circumstances. Faith frees us to say, but if you say so, I will, because I know that your character, God, is greater than my current circumstance. So Peter puts the net down into the water and immediately starts to begin filling with fish. It begins filling so much that he has to call his partners, James and John, over to help. It begins filling so much that the boat begins to sink. And people are cheering, and they're hollering, and they're celebrating, and the birds are beginning to swell and swirl overhead, looking for a moment to swoop in and grab a stray fish. The boat begins to topple over a little as they try to fasten the net to its side. And in the middle of all of that, Peter has an aha moment. And he turns around, looks straight in the eyes of Jesus, and falls on his knees. And Peter's aha moment is that he realizes that he realizes that this miracle he has just witnessed, it's not about the fish outside of the boat. This miracle that he was just able to witness is about the person he let into his boat. Peter realizes that his ordinary life has just crossed paths with the most extraordinary life. Listen to how this aha moment causes him to respond. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I was at a conference with Pastor Doug and Paul in Chicago. And the hotel we were staying at had a coffee shop. So one day we're in the coffee shop getting in line. And, and I looked behind me and one of the main speakers from the conference was walking into the coffee shop. Have you ever had that moment? It's a speaker I, I really admire, but have you ever had that moment where someone that you view as larger than life suddenly steps into your life and is just like right there? I mean, it was exhilarating, and, and I was staring a little too much, so I turned back around because I didn't want him to think I was a creep for staring at him too much. And I turned back around because I, I did kind of want to approach him, and I turned back around, and I did this. <sighs> Pull yourself together, Stephen. And I turned back and I headed over to him and I stuck my hand out and I said, hey, now here's what he did. I said, hey, and he goes, oh, don't touch me, I'm sick. <sighs> Could you have made me feel more awkward? I mean, it was hard enough to come up and approach you, but now I feel embarrassed for even trying. Sometimes we do this with Jesus, don't we? We think his love and grace are too ordinary to cover our extraordinary shame and guilt and sin. And so we tell him, leave me, Jesus. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I like to imagine myself in the stories of the Bible. So when I read, I try to put myself into those stories. And so when Peter goes, leave me, Jesus, I'm too much of a sinner. I'm there. And what I picture is that Jesus gets a little grin. He gets this little Jesus grin, and he flashes it to Peter for the first time. It's a grin that Peter will come to know well over the next three years. And the grin says this, Peter, you can't out the cross. You can't out the sacrifice I'm here to make. I imagine Jesus grinned, but here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. In other words, Jesus invites Peter to leave his ordinary life and enter into an extraordinary life. Here's the truth for us this morning. While we may never forget the moment Jesus entered our boats, sometimes along the journey, we stop living for the reason 
why we let Jesus enter our boats. And that causes us to live ordinarily for an extraordinary God. So how do we live extraordinarily? Uh, living extraordinarily for God. I, I thought I put down three thoughts. If you have the Version app on your phone, you can find them there. They're up on the screen. But here's my three thoughts this week that be, can begin helping us living extraordinarily for God. The first one is this. Daily remind myself why Jesus stepped into my boat by engaging in God's attempt to get to me. His word. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've always thought that was a really good verse, but I've also, I've also thought that it was kind of redundant. God's word is a light and a light. Great. But the more I've thought about it, I started thinking about what would the lighting be like in 1000 BC? And I've thought about it, and I think this psalm is talking about two different lights. God's word is a light unto my feet. God's word helps me with what I'm struggling with. Helps me with what I'm stepping in. Helps me with what I'm sinking in. God's word is a light that helps me with what I'm struggling with right now. The fears, the doubts, the pressures, the stresses. God's word helps me figure that stuff out that's right in front of me. But it's also a light that's going to light my path. It's also a light that's going to show me where I'm going. Show me what I'm doing. If we want to move from ordinary to extraordinary, God's word needs to be the light that guides our steps and shows us our paths. And that can only happen if daily we're in it. Second thing that I thought of this week was develop the attitude of, but if you say so, I will. In my life, I've realized that my attitude determines my outlook. If my attitude is good, then my outlook is going to be good. If my attitude is good, then my treatment of people is going to be good. We live in a culture surrounded by a bunch of Peters before the catch, don't we? There's depression, hopelessness, despair seemingly all around us. So how do we begin to navigate that? Well, I think it's by developing the mindset of Peter after he realized who was in his boat. We don't follow an ordinary God. We follow an extraordinary God. A God who was so radical, he came to earth to get into our boats, to die on a cross, and then he pulled off Easter. God's character is so much greater than our circumstances. So even on the days when it's hard to see Jesus in our boats, even on the days when it feels like we've just been thrown back into that murky lake, even on those days, our attitude should always be, but if you say so, I will. Because our attitude is not dependent on our circumstances, but is motivated by our faith in who God says he is. The third thing I thought of this week was this. Drop the nets of what I care about and pick up the nets of what Jesus cares about. We all have nets like Peter, don't we? We have nets that we cast to catch a paycheck, to catch contentment, to catch happiness. And I think Jesus would look at those nets and tell us that those are ordinary. The extraordinary happens when we stop living for what we'll catch and like Jesus, start living for who we'll catch. That's an extraordinary lifestyle. 
But we didn't finish the story. Verse 11 says this, And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. If you're anything like me, you read that line, and I kind of got mad at Peter. I'm going, Peter, dude, what's up? You're just going to walk away from the biggest catch of your career? You're just going to stick a sign in that pile of fish that says free fish and just walk off into the distance? What? Exactly. What Peter gives up are boats and nets and fish. But what he gains is Jesus. And that's my hope and prayer for us here at First Covenant Church, is that we would know and believe that Jesus is extraordinarily enough. Let me pray for us. Well, Lord, I'm just so blown away, God, that you have a desire to know us, that you want to get into our boats with us. Lord, it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of anything we deserve. It's not because of all the good accolades that are showered upon us or all the good things that we've done. It's none of those reasons, God. You get into our boats simply because of your grace. It's always by your grace. God, I think about this story with Peter and how you sat in his boat. You taught, but you just didn't leave it there. You didn't speak and then get out of the boat. You spoke and then you said, all right, hey, now let's go fishing together. Let's do life together. God, that's my prayer for us this morning, that as we worship, it wouldn't just stay here, but it would go out with us, that we would realize that you're with us always. And that you are always in our boats, God. And what an amazing, amazing thing that is. Your awesome, awesome name. Amen.